Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. My name is Kyle Cox, and a little bit about me. I graduated from A&M in 2013. Whoa, nice. All right. Well, we should all hang out after. Um, see me after the service. So uh, after I graduated from A&M, I came on staff here at Grace as a fellow, if you're familiar with our fellows program, and then came on staff full-time in our outreach department for about a year in which I got married during this year, which was obviously very exciting. My wife and I, shortly after we got married, as of last summer, we moved overseas to Greece. And uh, we came back a couple weeks ago, and we are here renewing our visas. We're seeing friends, family, and then we will head back to Greece uh, come September. So the story I want to share with you this morning is about my friend uh, Chamilla. Um, This is Chamilla Panilla. And there's a couple things I want to point out in this picture. First, I want you to notice the distance between our heads. There's about six inches, a comfortable distance. Then I want you to notice the hand around her shoulder. You can sense that there's not a lot of tension forming around her shoulder. Look at our thighs in between. You can see there's a nice gap for comfort. What I'm getting at is the guy you see in this picture was so far in the friend zone that you would need to break through the concrete just to start digging me out. The friend zone. Many have lived in this, few have escaped. And this is where I was for two and a half years of my life. All right. Yeah, some of you get it. All right. Um, This is where I lived for two and a half years of my life in the friend zone with Chamilla. And different guys would come up up to me time and time again. And they would be like, hey, would you consider going on a date with Chamilla? And I was like, yeah, but I know her response would be, ugh, no. Um, and little did I know, however, that there was women in her life who she trusted and knew, and uh, they would ask her, hey, your friendship with Kyle, y'all look like y'all are, you know, pretty close, like, is there anything between y'all? And she would be like, ugh, no. And finally, there was a friend of mine who came up to me, and he challenged me. He said, I think you should seriously consider asking Chamilla out on a date. And so I did what no one should do. I, I texted her, and um, after texting her... I went over to her place. We sat on the couch and she's in here. She's over there. So ask her after the service if she doesn't agree. I guarantee she agrees. But we had what I believe to be the most uncomfortable conversation between the opposite sex that I think you could ever have. Um, Really, it was... (laughs) So we, and I say this in the best way possible, we reluctantly decided to go on a date. And uh, so we go on a first date and it was actually fun. We had a good time. We go on a second date. The second date, it went really well. We had a good time. And I actually texted her after our second date. And I said, hey, I had a good time. I look forward to hanging out next week. She sends me back a text saying, hey, can we talk tomorrow? Which, you know, is never good. Um, So uh, long story short, uh, we break up uh, Thanksgiving. Kyle's sad. We get back together. Uh, So in that spring of that semester, I realized that I was in love with this girl. So I meet with a couple of my friends, and I ask them if they thought, knowing me, knowing my future, if it was wise that I would pursue marriage in this season of life, life, and they all agreed yes. And so my friend and I, who lives overseas with me now, actually, he and I went ring shopping, and two girls who were two of Tramilla's best friends found out I went ring shopping, and they said, you're not going to go shop rings without us. So they came. Uh, so there us four were, and I got the ring, and I asked her, her friends to drop her off at a park, and there I was, and a lot of our best friends were hiding behind the bushes watching as I asked her to marry me. And then we planned a wedding in three and a half months, with months which was crazy. And uh, then the guy you see in this f- photo went out from being the guy in the friend zone to marrying the love of my life. Now, 
Thank you. Thank you. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> now, I want you to notice my face in the picture. Um, you can really sense the disbelief in my face. And what's funny is I actually had this face a lot throughout the course of the wedding. There's one during the ceremony. That's when he pronounced us man and wife. Uh, so that was us. Um, and you know, I look back to our wedding day. I look back to that exciting day and there's a lot of moments that come to my mind, uh, particularly one before I went to the altar, before the ceremony had started, I remember Matt Morton, our officiant who teaches over at Creekside, he and my groomsmen, they all surround me and they all lay a hand on me and they each, each one of them pray over me. And they all pray for our marriage. They pray for Chamilla. They pray for me to be a loving, caring husband. They pray for our future children and they just pray for that day, that specific day that it would be glorifying to the Lord. And I remember after they prayed over me, all the nerves that I had walking onto the altar, walking into the ceremony were gone. I can confidently say I walked in with confidence. And I look back at Chamilla and our relationship, our dating relationship, our engagement, and even now in our, in our marriage, I see each sequence always had people surrounding us. It always had close friends surrounding us and pouring into us and giving us wisdom. And I realized the reason I was able to engage in opportunities to get to know Chamilla, to marry Chamilla, to even uh, continue in marriage now together, the reason we can do this really in confidence, a lot of the time is because of the help of those who have surrounded us. It's those who surrounded us in our relationship that enabled us to have confidence. And I say that because in a similar way, in the Christian life, as we live life on mission, we can live life in confidence, seeking out spiritual opportunities found in our everyday interactions. And so I want to be clear what I'm talking about this morning when I say living a life daily on mission. I'm not talking about us waiting for God to put in front of us an opportunity to make Jesus known. What I'm referring to is us actively seeking out opportunities daily in our everyday life to make Jesus known. It's our eyes actively open to the needs around us. Because the reality is God, he desires to use us to reach the people in your workplace. He desires to use us to reach the people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, to reach the students who come from overseas to A&M to reach the bitter and the angry and the poor and the hurt and the lonely. He wants to use you and I to address and reach these people. And these people, they're found in our everyday life. And I think the reason at times the church as a whole or people in the church, me, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I realize at times the reason we can, we can negate this, we can be negligent of this is for a host of reasons. One being simply that it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to talk to people around you about Jesus, people you don't know. It's uncomfortable to meet your neighbors and meet people you don't know and build relationships with people for the purpose of introducing Jesus. It's risky. We can lose jobs. We can lose money. We can lose time. I mean, these students who stood before you today, they sacrificed time out of their summer. It can be risky because you can risk relationships. You can risk family. It's risky and it's uncomfortable. However, when I was recently reading about the early church, 
I read about these Christians who had a target on their back. Christians who the risk was great and death was imminent. Yet despite the risk, these Christians, these uneducated, ordinary men and women, they came together and despite the risk, they acknowledged that the gospel of Jesus Christ was worth it. And so the gospel, it spread throughout Europe and it spread throughout Asia because these Christians decided we know the risk, but the gospel is worth it. I think of my wife, Chamilla, when she came to A&M. Chamilla, she grew up in a Buddhist home and her family um, are still to this day Buddhist. And so what she knew coming into A&M was Buddhism. And so in her first semester, a stranger simply gives her a Bible and she starts reading this Bible and she becomes curious. And so she comes here to grace And there she meets a girl named Sarah, and Sarah sees an opportunity to disciple this young believer. And now, if you know Chamilla, you know that she is one of the strongest women of the faith that you know. And it's because two people just looked in their everyday life for opportunities to make disciples and make Jesus known. This is what it it means to actively live on mission. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at how we can do this in confidence. How we can do this in confidence despite the risk. And out of many characters in the Old Testament, I think David does this very well. David, he lives life on mission for the glory of God in confidence. And so the question I asked myself after I started studying David was, what did he know that would enable him to live this way? And I believe the answer is found in Psalm chapter 23. Psalm, 20, Psalm chapter 23 is a very common set of verses. Um, as many of you know, this, this illust- the illustration in Psalm 23 is of God as our shepherd. And so in light of this illustration of God as our shepherd, what I want to do is pull out three truths as a reminder to us to walk in confidence as we live life on mission. Three truths in light of this illustration as God as our shepherd. So the first truth is this, our shepherd provides. So this is looking at how we can walk in confidence as we live life on mission. David starts in verse 1. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So the Lord illustrated as a shepherd is a pretty common theme throughout the Old Testament. Uh, What's significant, though, is usually this illustration is in regards to how a people group, a community, or a nation relates to God. We see this in Psalm chapter 80, verse 1, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 31, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. However, in Psalm chapter 23, this is the only time in the entire Old Testament that this illustration of God as shepherd directly relates to you and I. So this psalm isn't about how a community or a nation relates to God. It's about how you and I as individuals relate to God. In fact, David will use the words I and my 17 times throughout this psalm. And I think in our city going lives, it's hard to understand the gravity of this illustration. However, when David wrote this, there was great significance because David, he was a shepherd. And David would know as a shepherd, you spent all day and night with your sheep, protecting your sheep. You had specific names for your sheep. Sheep, they lacked horns, they lacked claws, so they were unaware of predators stalking them. And even if they got them, they were basically little marshmallow, fluffy, fluffy sheep ready to be devoured. Sheep, they would follow the herd, so if one sheep jump off, jump off a cliff, they all jump off a cliff. 
Um, I'm talking as if sheep don't exist anymore. Um, so this illustration, what it does is it illustrates us as the sheep, which not, isn't necessarily a great compliment. However, what this shows me and what this illustrates to me is our need for help. We have a weakness. There's something that we need to be dependent on outside of ourself. And so what this shows me, what these next three verses show, is that our shepherd provides for our need. He addresses our need. David moves on and he writes, I shall not want. Now, when I first read that, I thought that was a pretty ambiguous phrase. I didn't really quite know what it meant. Originally, I thought it meant I will not desire. Like, I, I, I thought it, if the Lord is my shepherd, then I don't desire. I thought that was strange because I do desire things. I desire food and comfort and friendship. However, when you look at the actual Hebrew, there is no ambiguity. What it means is I do not lack. And so we can essentially say what David is saying here is the Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. I lack nothing. So I could lose, I could physically have nothing, yet have everything if I have you. We can live life confidently on mission, knowing that he is our great provider and that he will provide for our resources. And this doesn't mean that we'll have health and wealth. In fact, living life actively on mission more than likely means you'll lose it. But what it does mean is he he provides for our need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. There is a sense of safety and tranquility here. He restores my soul. He gives me relief. He refreshes me when I'm weary. He completely sustains me. And so I don't need to look for other outlets, other resources for provision. Because he completely sustains me. He completely provides for my need. Now, when I was reading this, I was thinking about my parents' dog, Iris. Um, This is Iris. She's a Pomeranian. If you're familiar with Ron Swanson, he says any dog under 50 pounds is a cat. Um, So my parents have a cat. This is is Iris the cat. And uh, Iris, I mean, she is taken care of to the extreme. I mean, she's she's given the wet food, not the dry food, because that matters. And uh, she's loved. She's afraid of everything. I mean, this dog is terrified of just life itself. But my parents, they give her security, they give her comfort. And so Iris, she's taken care of. She's taken to the dog saloon and not saloon. She's taken to the dog salon. <laughs> she's not going into the saloon to buy a drink. Um, Iris is taken to the dog salon and she's uh, fluffed up and she gets her nails painted because I don't know, they paint dogs nails for some reason. Um, but every time the door to the house is open, she runs out. Like every time, despite having all that she needs in the house, she runs out. And I always wonder, like, Iris, what out there, like, what could you possibly have out there that you don't have in here? Like a dog saloon? I don't know. Like, what could you have? What is there? Why would she run out the door if she's provided all that she needs in here? And I realized for me is that I I do that same thing. I mean, my shepherd has provided all that I need, and yet I still happen to run out the front door when I see the resource or outlet that I think will provide for me better than my shepherd will. You see, Tramilla and I, we, we saw this play out last semester when we were raising finances to move overseas. Tramilla and I, as when May approached of last year, we got a number that we had to raise to move overseas. And the first reaction is, oh boy, you know, like there's no way we can raise that. You know, like we need a full year to raise that. 
And yet what we saw, we saw an opportunity to move overseas to make the gospel known. We saw that the risk was great. Yet despite all of this, what we saw is that the Lord provided not only our financial goal, but he provided an abundance. And so don't let loss of stuff or things or relationships, money, jobs, don't, don't let loss of these things keep you from engaging a life living actively on mission. Because our shepherd provides Our shepherd is our great provider, and truth number two, our shepherd protects. Our shepherd is our great protector. So moving on in verse four, David writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now I want you to notice the shift in imagery here, because I think it's pretty significant, and I think we can all relate to it. The first three verses, David refers to God and the third person, he. He says, he leads me besides the waters. He leads me um, to greener pastures. Yet here in verse 4, what we see is this literary form switch. He starts to refer to God in the second person, you. And all this does to me is it comforts me that David can really relate to us because I find the times that we cry out to God the most are when we are in the valley. And I want to talk about this valley for a little bit. In fact, for the remainder of the most of our time, we're going to be talking about the valley. Um, now, this valley, as I read commenta- commentaries, most commentators agree that this valley represents when the shepherd would intentionally lead his sheep through dangerous territory to get to greener pastures. And this valley it had hidden predators. This valley was notorious for inconsistent climates. This valley had poisonous plants, poisonous water. And so it wasn't a safe place to be. There was a lot of unknown in this valley, and yet the shepherd still thought it was worth taking the sheep through it. Now, that's significant because what David is saying here is not that the sheep have fallen into this valley unintentionally, but because he's saying the shepherd is intentionally taking his sheep through it. Now, what that illustrates to me is we can live life actively on mission, taking risks, because there is an unknown in that. There's unknown in risks that we take. There is an unknown that we enter, and at times it can be uncomfortable and dangerous and risky. And yet he's telling us that we can confidently say, I will fear no evil because of the one who goes before me. Now, I want to pause here for a second, and I want you to kind of go back in time with me. If you grew up in the church and you were in Sunday school, think back to then. If not, if you didn't, just think back to when you heard for the first time some Old Testament Bible stories. I want you to think of Moses, when God used Moses to split open a sea, when God used Moses to perform miracles. Think about um, Elijah, who God used to cast down fire from heaven, or Daniel, who was thrown in a den of lions and walked out with 10 pet new cats. And uh, think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was thrown in a furnace and yet weren't burned. Think of these heroes. I think back to when I was a kid in Sunday school, and I remember seeing pictures of these, or pictures of Noah when he and all the animals were smiling, and we glass over the fact that everyone else died. Um, but I remember when I was a kid learning these stories and thinking, like, my mind was blown. You know, I was like, this God can do anything. And I remember um, one of the guys who disciples me, his son Andrew, he would call me from time to time in the last year, um, and he would ask me the deep questions of life, such as, who's a greater superhero, Batman or Superman? And we would discuss that for a while, but at the end, I would always tell him a Bible story, something God did in the Bible. 
And after we got done talking about that story, he'd be like, Batman and Superman, who? You know, it was like, this God is like, this God's real? There was a reverence and awe that Andrew had for God. And what I've found is as we grow older, as we grow older in the church, as we grow older spiritually, what tends to happen at times is we view these stories almost as children's stories, almost as stories that we tell in Sunday school, and that's it. And what's happened is as we've grown in our intellect and theology, which I think is good, I think we should study theology, we should grow in intellect because I think we learn more about God and I think that cultivates a deeper relationship with Jesus. However, theology and intellect is supposed to reinforce the reverence we, and awe we have of God, not replace it. It's supposed to reinforce it. And so at times I hear people say, man, the God of the Old Testament is so powerful. He's so big. The God of the Bible can do anything. And I'm like, that's the same God who lives in you and I. The same God who used Moses and David and Elijah is the same God who lives and works and moves in you and I. In fact, in James chapter 5, Scripture says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. These men and women of the faith, that's all they were. They were men and women. They lived, they bled, they ate, they died. And yet, these men and women lived confidently, living life for the glory of God. In fact, I would say we even have something on these Old Testament heroes because we actually have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us. So in light of this, in light of the God that we serve and worship, of course David would say that when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he'll fear no evil. Because he knows this is the God that goes before him. And so, of course, we can walk in confidence, taking risk, living life on mission, because we know that this is the God that goes before us. The same God who used these heroes is the same God that uses us. I was reading about a missionary not long ago who was in South Africa. He was captured, he was um, tortured, and he was persecuted, and one of, his tormentor, one of his tormentors asked him not long before he got out where his God was now. And the response of this missionary was, you won't lay one more finger on me more than what my God would allow. And I look at that and I think that is what living, living confidently life actively on mission is. That's understanding who lives and moves in us. Now, we could recognize our job, we could be fired, we could lose salary, we could lose friendships, we could lose family. But what can man do outside of the sovereignty of God? That there's nothing anyone can do apart from what my God will allow. That's walking confidently through the valleys. And so can we live in such a way, like my friend's son, Andrew, that we look at God and we say, that God can do anything? Like, shouldn't that compel me to go through the valley? A lot of the time, it's circumstance that can prevent us from entering into the valley. And I think to myself, I really like the still waters. Like, I really like the green pastures, but I don't love going through the valley. And as I'm thinking about this, I think to myself, wouldn't I want to go through the valley? Like, just to see what God would do. Like, just to experience God in a way that I haven't before. I, uh, I remember right before I was married, I, I came home to my house, and I see two of my roommates, and 
Um, I asked what they were doing, and they were simply about to just walk around the neighborhood, knock on doors, and tell people that they love Jesus and that they would love to pray for them. That was it. It was so simple. And yet they had this excitement and this anticipation, and you could see um, that they were excited just to do something out of the ordinary, something that made them uncomfortable, and yet something so simple as a knock on the doors. My wife, Chamilla, and I, we had the same feeling right before we uh, got on the plane to move overseas. We had this anticipation manifesting itself in excitement and even anxiety. And we knew, like, we had never lived overseas. We didn't know people in Greece. We had never experienced life away from home for over a year. And so we were nervous and we were excited and we were antsy. And we knew, though, we knew confidently that we may not see revival But what we did know is that we would have a dependency on God unlike ways we have ever seen before. That we would have to rely on Him in ways that we had never seen. And that we would experience Him in new ways. That we would experience God in ways that we had never experienced before. So often we can let circumstance prevent us from entering in the valley. And so often we can let ourselves prevent us. I think at times we can be our own worst enemies. We can look at our limitations. We can look at our weaknesses and struggles. And we can think, not me. Like, not me. God can't use me. I can't live this way because I have this limitation. And then I think of Moses. I think of Moses when God calls Moses to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Moses' response was, not me. Like, I have a stutter. I can't do this. I, I stutter. And God says, who made your mouth? You saying I messed up when I made your mouth? And then he says, not me. I can't lead. Make Aaron lead. Let Aaron lead. And then Aaron leads for a little bit and poof, golden idol calf. (laughs) We all have limitations. My limitations at times that I see in myself is I have obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety disorder. I've seen counseling for this. I currently take medication for this. And I can beat myself up and I can think, not me. You know, I I have this issue. I have this struggle and limitation. How can I live overseas trying to make the gospel known there when I'm struggling so deeply here? And yet, you know, what I've seen in the last year is that God doesn't negate me because of my limitation. He uses me despite of it. And so now what I do is I can recognize that it was God, not my own strength, that enabled me to walk through the valley, that enabled me to live life on mission. So he makes no mistake in choosing you. He makes no mistake in using you. We all have limitations. You have a limitation. I have a limitation. But he uses us. We're kingdom representatives. And he wants to use us as kingdom representatives to make the king known. He wants us, wants to use us to make Jesus known. So often we let circumstance, we let ourselves, and we also let others prevent us from going into the valley. As Tramilla and I were raising support last year, I remember I had a friend with good intention come to me, and he tried to tell me that it wasn't a good idea to move overseas, that I would miss out on weddings and funerals, which we did, that we would miss out on life here, which of course we did, that what if he would, he would ask me, what if an emergency happened? Like, what if an emergency happens and we don't have enough money to take care of it? What if an emergency happens and you need to be here for it? And my response in my head to him was simply this. Does an emergency only pertain to when it's inconvenient to us? 
Like, aren't the people overseas who will die and live eternity apart from Jesus, are they not an emergency? Are the people in our workplaces, in our schools, in our classes, the people in our neighborhood, our communities, the students who come from around the world to go to A&M, are all those who will live eternity apart from Jesus, are they not an emergency? And so amidst of the people saying, you've got this or you've got that, you've got this job, you've got this salary, you've got uh, this opportunity, I'm at the point where I say, no, I've got the same God. I've got the same God. My shepherd remains the same. The same God who used Moses and David and Daniel and Elijah is the same God who lives in you and me. So we can walk in awe confidence through the valley despite circumstance, despite our limitations, and despite what people say. He is our great provider, our great protector, and truth number two, three, our shepherd satisfies David writes in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So I want to look at that phrase, that cup, my cup overflows. I'm reminded of when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And this woman, she is looking for satisfaction in all sorts of places. This woman, she's been married several times. She's prostituted herself out several times just so she can be satisfied even for a little bit. And so Jesus, he comes to her and he says, I have the solution to what you are searching for. I have the solution that you would be satisfied and not only would your cup be filled, but it would overflow. And what I've come to realize is that he is the only one who satisfies. So we can have the perfect job. We can have the perfect marriage, the perfect family, the perfect salary, the perfect time. And yet we will always want something more. Timothy Atik, uh, director of Breakaway, I love how he puts it. He says at the top of every ladder, there's always another ladder. So you could get that perfect salary, you could climb the ladder, and yet then you'll see something else you want, and you will want to climb that ladder until you are satisfied. And yet what we find when we do this is that we will always be thirsty for something else until we have completely placed our satisfaction in Jesus Christ. He is the only one that satisfies. What this looks like for me personally is when I've moved overseas, I saw friends buy houses, friends start families, friends have permanent jobs, and these friends are using all of those things for the glory of God. But for me, I look at that, and at times while I live overseas, I can think, man, I want that so bad. Like, I could covet that. And what I've realized, what I've come to realize is that even if I had it, like, even if I had it, I wouldn't be satisfied. I wouldn't be satisfied if I wasn't cultivating my relationship with Jesus. He's the only one who satisfies So we could lose money and time and jobs and reputation, but still be satisfied if we are cultivating a relationship with Jesus because he is the only one that makes our cup overflow. So if if our shepherd is our great provider, our great protector, our great satisfier, I say bring on the valley. Bring on the valley. This is how we can live confidently in life, actively pursuing mission. Because in light of all the what-ifs, what if you lose this, what if you lose that, I'm at the point in my life where the only what-if I'm concerned about is what if I die and I didn't live my life for the glory of Jesus Christ? This world is dying and it needs Jesus. And he wants to use you and I to meet the need. He wants to use you and I to make Jesus known. 
So as David finishes, he writes, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, this psalm, it points us to Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So how do we dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Well, it's through trust and faith in his life, death, and resurrection. And so the men are going to go back and prepare communion. And as we close this morning, this is what we want to reflect and think on, is of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you in the room this morning, I would say my challenge to you is if you are a Christian in the room, that you would live your life in such a way that the purpose is to make Jesus known, to make Jesus known to the people around you, understanding and acknowledging that you can do this in confidence because of who goes before you. But if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, my hope for you this morning is that you would know that you are loved by a God who saw sin separate you from him. And in his great love, he sent Jesus, his son to earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, fully taking the penalty of our sin and then raising from the grave three days later, effectively conquering sin once and for all. That if you would place your faith in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, you would have a relationship with the Father. And so this morning, if you're a believer in the room, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, whether you're a member at Grace or not, whether you're a guest, we would love for you to participate in communion with us. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, then feel free to let the elements pass by and perhaps reflect if today might be the day that you would know him. But for this morning right now, let's reflect and think about the great love and sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus. And then if you want to come down. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus and the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, amidst the noise of the week and amidst of everything going on this week, we just want to take a moment in the quiet and just say thank you. Thank you that you have provided a way to save us, to have relationship with you. Lord, I do pray that for us in the room, that we would leave here and we would live life actively on mission because we so desperately want the world to know you. We want the world to know the God who made it possible of salvation, made it possible to have relationship with you. So, Lord, now we, uh, we just want to take a moment and respond to you in worship.